Hi friends, thanks for listening. This is your host of the Weirdest Experience podcast, Tina Clark. I also wanted to share with you, I have my own energy healing business called Stargazing Angel LLC. I offer energy healing sessions, EFT tapping sessions, tarot readings, and I also offer classes on Reiki, shamanism, and tarot and more. If you're interested in having a session with me, please call 843-695-7218 or you can email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. You can also check out my website, which is www.tinakinneyclark.com. That's T-I-N-A-K-I-N-N-E-Y-C-L-A-R-K-E. Hi, I'm your host, Tina Clark, and welcome to my Weirdest Experience podcast. This is the podcast of the weirdest experience that has ever happened to you and gives you a venue to fully express yourself and share your weirdest story with the world. This is the No Judgment Zone, a safe place to share your experience. It's also a place where we discuss what happened to you and share some possible theories on what and why this happened. If you would like to be on the show, email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Hey, welcome to the show. I have Kathy McDaniel here. She is the author of Misfit in Hell to Heaven Expat. It's all about her near-death experience. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thanks, Tina. Glad to be here. So when did the book uh, come out? Is it recently? It came, no, it came out a year ago in June. So it's been a little over a year and a half. So walk us into the story of what happened to you. Well, it started 75 years ago when I was born into a family that um, had my dad in the military. And so we traveled a lot. And so I was always the new kid. We'd be someplace two or three or four years, and then we'd get ripped up and moved around. So I, I learned to kind of, uh, well, I kind of reinvented myself every time I went a new place. If the old persona didn't work, we'd try a new one. It was really kind of fun. I, I had a good time. Um, my family were Catholics, and I was always in Catholic school. I, I never knew anything else. As I got older, I started a property management company. I had been working for some people that had a lot of units. I was doing their books and helping out with the leases. And after seven years of that, I thought, heck, I can do this myself. So I did. And uh, it was very successful. It was in a little seaside town in Central California with a boardwalk. And, and it was a fun place to live anyway. So I, I did really well there. I got to grow on and had my sister come in and work for me. And then my grown daughter came in and worked for me. And then one of my best friends, it just kept getting bigger and it was really fun. And I loved it because we were helping people. We were helping landlords find good tenants. We were helping people find safe and affordable housing. It was just a really good time. Uh, the worst thing that happened there, though, is in 1989, we had a really huge earthquake that took out the whole downtown, and, and uh, that was really awful. Uh, I go into great detail in a lot of this stuff in my book, but that, that was pretty awful. The, the whole downtown just was crumbled, crumbled, and so we had all these poor people that lost their businesses, and the Downtown Association and Chamber of Commerce set up these huge, like, pavilions like you see in a circus and, and moved all the, the people that had their businesses in there. So I took care of all of that too, in addition to my other clients for about two years. And by the time I turned 50, I was tired. I had been working since I was 19. I was a single mom, put two kids into college and um, I had been get engaged for the last seven years to a really wonderful man. And then he got transferred to the East Coast and at the time, I had my business, my kids in college there, my parents, my family, 
I'd been there 35 years and he was a workaholic. And so there was no way I was going to give up everything and move to the East Coast and live in a fancy house and go crazy. So we stayed best friends <laughs> and he, 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 he took off and he was doing really well. But about three years after he left, he gave me a call. Uh, I had sold my business by then and, and just kind of hanging out with my daughter who had moved to Colorado. So I was just staying with her for a while. And he came out to visit and told me he had leukemia. And the doctor said the only thing they could recommend since uh, he had let it go so long um, was a research hospital in Seattle. And he needed two caregivers. And would I go? And I said, sure, you betcha. So I flew to Seattle and, and uh, found a space for this other lady and myself to help him through this process. It was going to take two or three months. And so uh, we set up and then started with his um, program. Well, it was a lot more involved and chaotic and traumatic than any of us had ever imagined. He would, he would be getting better and then he'd crash and we'd get up in the middle of the night. He's bleeding from his nose and we can't stop it. We had this this routine. I, I was the, the getaway car and she was the one that got him bundled up and down the, the steps into the curb. And then we go zooming off to the hospital. We check into emergency. It just went on and on. And instead of two or three months, it ended up being eight and eight months with trauma and very little sleep does not help your immune system. I'm here to tell you that. So he passed away at 53 and I was just emotionally and physically a wreck. And in, in that last year, I had met a, a nice young man that, that uh, lived uh, in a town, well, probably half an hour away. And he'd come up at once a month or so, and all of us would go out to dinner. And, and uh, so he was a good friend of mine. Um, there was a flu going around, kind of like covid caught it and it very quickly went into pneumonia. Um, I lived up on the th third floor in an apartment complex with no elevator and I got so sick I could hardly breathe and I was coughing so badly that I called my friend in the middle of the night and I says, I, I need to get to a doctor and, and I can't get down the stairs to get in my car. So he came and got me. By the time I got to, we went to the dock in the box because we the hospital was a good half an hour away and there was no pulse and they called an ambulance and got me started again. And I ended up in, in the emergency room and they uh, said, wow, your, your pneumonia is really bad where we can't keep you oxygenated. So we're going to have to put you into a drug induced coma and on a ventilator. Uh, you'll be, you'll be fine. You know, by then, my parents were there. Uh, my daughter showed up from Colorado. Um, and, and the doctor says, you know, we're going to give you something called white amnesia because there's going to be a lot of medical procedures going on. We don't want you to remember. I, we don't want you to be stressed. You have to be calm. So we'll give you that and you won't remember a thing. You'll just wake up. Hopefully he didn't say that, but the inference was there and uh, mm -hmm. you'll be fine. So uh, I went into the coma. I was there for three weeks. Um, he was right. I did not remember one thing that happened in that medical procedure, but I, I remember something else. I all of a sudden woke up and it was all pitch dark and it was so quiet. I couldn't hear a thing. And I thought, what the heck? You know, I, I, I had forgotten that I had been sick. I just, I thought this, this has got to be a bad dream, but it wasn't. And I was afraid to move because I didn't know if I was standing on something or what. And, and all of a sudden I noticed it was getting lighter and I thought, okay, uh, there was like a reddish glow. I thought, all right, but then it was getting warm. Okay. Um, then there was like swirly fog and I felt like something was staring at me. You know how you get that, that feeling? And all of a sudden, this voice just boomed out, scared me to death and said, 
do you know where you are? And I thought real quick, and I thought the only answer was hell. And this terrible thing just boomed out with this voice that you would hear in like some sort of horror film. And I just turned and ran. I didn't care where I had to get away from that thing. So all of a sudden, this became a series of movie scenes is is the best I can describe it. Um, All of a sudden, instead of darkness, now I'm in this scene of, it looked to me like New York City had been hit by an atomic bomb. That's the best way to describe it. Huge buildings had toppled. Some of them were still hanging up, but, but their windows were blown out and there was smoke and fires everywhere and big chunks of concrete. And, and there I was, just dropped into that place. And I thought, I've got to hide this. I don't know what's going on here. So I, I tucked in between two big chunks of concrete. And I, was, I remember shivering and thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then I kind of saw this look like might be another person over in a, a dark area. And I, and I just thought, well, that could be somebody that's going to hurt me or it could be somebody like me. So I took a chance and just yelled out, hey, hey, why don't we get together and, and maybe we can help each other and, you know, find water or start a fire or something. And I waited and this voice, lonely, forlorn voice came out and said, we are all alone here. And I thought, that's not good. Then I started hearing these scuttling noises like huge spiders or something. I don't know. I thought, well, maybe we were attacked by aliens. I really didn't know what was going on. I felt totally me. I felt alive. I never felt dead. So it was so real that I had to survive. And in the in the book, I tell about other things, other beings I ran into and what happened there. And then all of a sudden, without warning, boom, there's another scenario. I'm in a different place now. Now there's a demon and there's no other word for it. We talked about Bigfoot. It looked a lot like Bigfoot, but it was mean. And it was, had a big stick or something that, and looming over me and he could talk. And I just, I just stared at him. I thought, oh my gosh, now what? And he says, do you want to get out of here? I says, yeah. And he says, well, I'll give you one task. And if you can perform that, I'll see that you get out of here. I said, fine, fine. It was still dark and, and dank and, and spooky. And, and he says, uh, all you have to do is cut down the blackberry vines. And in a whoosh, I could see this great big, huge field as far as you could see with those big canes of blackberry bushes all the thorns on them they overlapped and they were all tangled together and I just looked at that and he says and you cut it down with this and he handed me these little scissors that they give kindergarten kids to cut paper and he laughed and I said that's not funny and he just handed the scissors and I thought you creep I'm getting out of here. So I leaned down, I got all scratched up and I started hacking away at one of these vines that was like an inch thick and I'm hacking and hacking and finally it broke free. And I went to put it behind me. And when I turned back around, it had grown back. Now this demon is really laughing. He sees that I understand. I'm not getting out, not this way. So I was so angry, I just leaned down and I start cutting another one. And boom, the scene changed. Now I'm in a place that looked like a movie set. And there's actually somebody I know on that big boop. (laughs) It's a beauty parlor set, but it's all skewed and the chairs are crooked and the windows, I mean, the mirrors are all funny looking. And and, uh, she's a person that was family member, but she was known for her always looking perfect. Sometimes she was not a very nice person and she judged people on being, you know, up to date in their styles and this and that. 
So she looked at me and said, oh, you look like hell. <laughs> I thought, I've had a bad day, you know? And so she said, here, sit down. I'm going to fix you up. I mean, then if you look good, you'll be good. And I says, no, I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to do it. And she and a couple other people that I knew that were her friends just started laughing at me. So I got down from that set. And when I turned to walk away, boom. I just, it was so unnerving to have no control and to not know what's going to happen next. It was really terrifying. So now every time seemed to get a little worse. And this was a, a particularly bad situation. I was in this huge, bright hallway, huge hallway, and I could see way down at the end. And oh no, at the end is another one of those demons. Um, he's got ratty clothes on, but he's got a bigger stick and he moves really quickly because he comes scooting down that hall and just looms over me. And I, I had taken a second to just look to either side of me to see if there was an escape route and there was a door on either side of me, but he was so quick. He was right there. And he says, you've got a new job. And I says, oh yeah. And he says, yeah, you're going to go in that room over there on the right. You're going to Take what they give you. You're going to come into the hall and you're going to go to the room on the left and put it in there. Then you're going to go back and you're going to go forth. You're going to go back. I said, whatever. So I thought if I just play along, one of these times, I'm going to find a door someplace somehow to get out of here. I'll just play along. So I went into this room and it was a large room. And I was surprised because there was all these gurneys with people laying on them and doctors in front of these people, and they must have been women, their legs were spread, they had a, a, a gown over their, their knees and stuff, and the doctors are working between their legs, and I thought, what is going on here? And the doc, one of the doctors raised this bloody hand, and, and uh, I just stood there, and he turned around and barked at me, get over here. So I kind of screwed, I was in shock, I went over there, and he says, well, open your arms, and I did, and he took this poor little desecrated baby and put it in my hands and I just looked at it and he says well take it out and you know, he was mad at me so I went back in the hall and there's the demon he's got a grin on his face and he says take it over there so I just in shock walked over and in this big again as far as you could see like a Costco warehouse is piles 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 of these poor ruined babies I, I put the baby down. It smelled so terrible in there. I backed out into the hall and the, and the demon pointed back to their room. And I said, no, cross my arms. What do you mean, no? I said, I'm not going to do that. That's wrong. It's disgusting. And I'm not going to do it. And he says, oh, you don't know what you're asking for, do you? And he raised that club and I closed my eyes and boom, I'm someplace else. And Tina, this just went on and on. In between, uh, there was this road sometimes. I'd find myself on this road and it was, it was rocky and dirt and it just went one direction. And, and I, that was no way, I didn't want to go back. That didn't seem logical. So I thought, well, I'll just go forward. Maybe this is the way out. And it was dark and it had that twilight of, of, of reddish glow and fog and stuff. So I, I couldn't see what was ahead, but I knew I had to keep moving. It wasn't going to do me any good just to stand there. Along that road, there was a couple of incidents. People I ran into, another relative. Um, people ask me about now, they say, well, did you have a body? And it's like, I thought I did. I thought I was still alive. I thought this was all real and happening to me. So I felt hungry, I felt tired, I felt scared, and I kept going on this road. And then I smelled this wonderful oh, food, like, oh my gosh, like you walk into a wonderful restaurant. And I thought, oh, maybe those people will give me a little something. There's gotta be people up there. So I come around up over this little rise and there's another family member and she's dressed in a strange outfit. And there are piles of, beautiful food. She was an excellent cook, still is. Just like she was expecting, oh, 100 people for dinner. Um, and there was 
piles of tables and silverware and stuff. And, and the strange man sitting next to her, just kind of watching her, keeping an eye on her. I just caught, a, caught him out of the corner of my eye. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so thrilled to see you. Can you just spare me just a little bit of, 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 of a plate of something? And she says, no, this food is for important people and turned her back on. I thought, what? I don't believe it. We're really close. But I had no choice. I had to keep going. Eventually, I came to what looked like a town. It was hard to see because it was like twilight and there was just shapes moving. And they weren't moving in a way people would. It was more like if I had to guess, we're looking at Night of the Living Dead. Um, tattered clothes. Everything was gray. Uh, they were haltingly limping along, making gurring sounds. And, and uh, I thought, oh, Lordy, this is not good at all. I was much better off. Maybe I can, the road ended in the town. I thought, well, maybe if I scoot and skirt around the outside of these people, keep my eyes down, they won't notice me. And I'll just walk like they are and get to the other side and keep going. They sensed me and they started backing away from me. So they were making this circle and I was in the center and I was terrified. And they attacked me. The men attacked me and did terrible things and left me with a kick and a warning. We all have AIDS. And now you will have AIDS and your flesh will rot like ours and you will get worse and worse. And the bad thing, you cannot die. What? I was just laying there in a fetal position thinking, oh my goodness, what in the heck's going to happen next? And what's going to happen to me? How do I get out of here? Where do I go? And this woman, a, a demon woman, but more like human said, get up, follow me, you're with us. Again, in the book, at, there's more at, detail. Right. At, at any point, did you ever ask for help? Did you, uh, you grew up Catholic, did you ask for Jesus, angels, anybody, grandma that I was close to that passed over, come help me right now. Did you ever do that? That's the first question people ask me. And I have to say no, because looking back, I realize I was in hell and God is not in hell. God doesn't go where God's not wanted and he's not wanted in hell. So I had no concept of heaven, God, family, except when I saw those people. I know that was part of the process that I learned later. That was part of why I was there, was to have this experience. But it did get better. Uh, I went with this woman, and there was about 20 other women in my position. We walked out of the town into snow. <laughs> uh, snow that kept blowing and, and falling, and we were clad in rags, and we were freezing, and the words, cold as hell is a real thing. So we tromped and tromped. I don't know how long. Uh, there's no time there. Uh, it's an eternal now. So uh, I didn't have a watch, you know. So we, we, we walked for a very long time. And it was nothing but snow as far as you could see. And following this woman and snow up to our chest. And we got to this cabin with no insulation. We were inside this cabin. And uh, the woman says, uh, now we're going to wait for customers. That didn't sound good. And I was starting to get kind of tired. I was losing hope. I, I thought, I can't despair. I know somewhere in my being, that's, that's something I cannot, I have to have hope something good is going to happen, but I don't know what it is. So I said to this demon lady, I said, you know, I've been here a long time. And this seems like a particularly nasty dark, depressing day. 
And she says, well, of course. It's heaven on earth today. And that's the worst day in hell. I heard hell. <laughs> I heard Christmas. I thought, okay, Christmas, that's good. I'm going to sing a Christmas carol. So I started off with Away in a Manger. That's my favorite one. That, that thought just came to me. And I started singing, Away in a Manger, no crib for his bed. Another lady started singing in. The demon lady squawked. Another lady, another lady. We were singing, Away in a Manger, no crib for his head. The little Lord. And when I got to the next word, I never got it out of my mouth. That demon came jumping over the top of those ladies right for me. And I closed my eyes. And boom, I'm in a bright light. I am swimming in love for want of an ever, another term. I was full of joy. I was full of bliss. I was in heaven. There was no doubt about it. I mean, I thought, well, this can't be a dream. And all that stuff that had happened before was gone. I had no memory of that now. In heaven, it's just total bliss and joy and love. And oh, my goodness, I looked over there and there's my friend, my dear friend that had just died a month before. And he looked wonderful. And I thought, huh, I had seen him just recently and he had leukemia and no hair and his face was all blotched with purple and he but he looked great. He looked about 35 years old. He was wearing a sweater I'd given him and, and he was laughing. And I thought, oh, wow, he doesn't know he's dead. And then he laughs some more. And I thought, well, he heard me. I must, I must really be dead. I am in heaven. And I was so elated. And I said, you know, well, show me, show me, let's go see. And as I shook my head, I kind of noticed this, like an architect's table on the side. All the walls were white. You couldn't tell how far they went back. And, and there's this great big book, like a ledger in the middle of it. And it's open halfway. And all of a sudden, I remember, uh-oh, he was showing me something in that book. And I can't remember what it was. All I remember is I said, oh, no, I want to stay here with you. That's going to be too hard. And he said, now, Mary Kay, you've got too much left to do. And I thought, oh, my goodness, they're throwing me out. And I said, no, you have no idea. And boom, another bright light. <laughs> I'm in ICU, CCU. There's my family. I am shocked. I don't know what happened. I still remember hell. I still remember heaven. Where have I been? Why are they smiling and cheering? I was totally freaked and I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. There was something in my throat and they all crowded around me and, and it just scared me. And they said, now, mom, my daughter says, don't be afraid. You've been really, really sick. And we didn't think you were going to make it, but we prayed and prayed. And here you are. We're all so happy. And it, Tina, it was a good thing I couldn't talk because I was so angry at being sent back into that body in that situation. I mean, I was very ungrateful for all those prayers. Late, I, 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 I thought to myself, why did you do this to me? That was a terrible thing to do. But it took a couple of days before they could stick some little thing in my gadget in my throat so I could talk like a robot and uh, interact. I had gotten down to 86 pounds. I had no muscle mass left. That's why I couldn't move. I could barely move one finger and blink. That was it. And I'm hearing this echo. You have too much left to do. What a bad joke that was. I can't <laughs> even move. I can't breathe. I can't do anything. What the heck? You're like, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I didn't want to hear that. I want to hear your terminal. You got two weeks to live. Uh, <laughs> I mean, give me some good news. Um, so anyway, there I was. I had forgotten how to do everything. I had to learn how to swallow, uh, talk. Uh, eventually, 
when I started finally gaining a little bit of weight, they tied me to a chair and I was like a rag doll on oxygen. I was just completely floppy. Um, they did a lot of, uh, as much as they could there in the hospital, but they said, she's going to have to go to a physical rehab facility. There's no way, you know, she can do this on her own, uh, on the book. I tell how we had to cheat a little get, a bit to get me out of the hospital because the, my insurance wouldn't pay for it unless I could do X, Y, and Z, which was pretty much impossible. But we managed to get me in an ambulance into the rehab facility. And I was there, there uh, 30 days, exactly. And um, I had to work every day uh, to make my insurance company happy. At the end of a week, I had to, a big checklist of things I had to do or they were going to put me in a convalescent hospital where I would have still been. Um, so I got through that. It was very depressing. Um, when I got out, my friend, it turned out that I saved my life, had been at the hospital every day, and he asked me to marry him. And um, I said, yes. I was 53. I'd sold my business. I had no house. <laughs> and my parents said I could go live with them. And I thought, no, this, this guy is very nice. We've got a good relationship. Um, so we just got engaged. That way I could stay. And, and I moved in with him and we set a date for November. And then I went through a very long time of trying to get my back, uh, learning to walk. I had to, first thing I had to learn to do after I got to the hospital was just walk through the house and go up two stairs and then stop and go, my lungs were toast. And so then I, you know, I, I learned to walk a little bit at a time and um, I made it a, pro a promise to myself by the end of a year, I would be able to go behind our house down this really steep, steep, steep hill around and up another steep hill, down another steep hill and up another steep hill uh, and not stop once. It took me a year every day and I finally got it. So then there was the problem with my family and my friends and the doctor who said, uh, you just had a bad dream. Uh, it was the drugs. And I said, didn't you tell me I wouldn't remember anything in that coma? And he said, yeah. And I says, I remember everything that happened in that coma and it's not going away. Oh, as a writer, I started writing it out. Every day I'd take and I'd write it out, write it out. I thought if I could just get it out of my head onto paper, stick it in a drawer, maybe I can start to, you know, be happy I'm here because I'm not. I'm scared. I'm scared they're going to come back and get me. I, I, you know, that wasn't fair. I wonder if next time I die, I have to go to purgatory again before I can go to heaven. I was not a happy person. So it took 10 years for me to find IONS. That's the International Association of Near-Death Studies.org. Uh, through a series of incredible synchronicities, um, I found my way there and I went to a meeting and my gosh, there was all these dead people. I thought, oh, I finally found my clan, my tribe, and they'd all come back and, and they would ask bits and pieces about my story and, and they believed me and they said, oh, well, that's, you know, that's interesting, but, you know, only about, oh gosh, six to 20 of the NDEs are distressing and there's not a lot of people that like to talk about it for you know because a lot of people say oh what did you do to go to hell you know that's that's a real conversation stopper right there so they said what you need to do is read a couple of the books Howard Storm has a book My Descent into Death and and um oh he they named a couple more but gosh there was only like three or four and there's hundreds of books about the, the great NDEs. So I did find Nancy Evans Bush. She wrote, oh, she's brilliant. She's wonderful. Uh, and she's older than I am and doesn't look it. And she's written at least three books on the subject. And what I liked about her distressing uh, near-death experience and all the time and thought and interviews and the things she did she said she came up with her theory and one of them because it's they're great books i've read them all it's the theory only brave people have distressing near-death experiences i thought what 
I'd rather be called brave than damned. That's for sure. I read on and it was like, they need to go into um, another realm to learn lessons, valuable lessons to bring back to the rest of humanity. It's kind of like in the ancient Greek uh, hero sagas where they, the hero would go down into the underworld and you know fight with all these things and demons and stuff and then bring some precious truth back and share. And that would become, um, it would become a saga. And I thought, okay, 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 maybe that's it. I need to find out what the lesson is. What am I supposed to share? I mean, it was terrible. How do I tell people about that? And what does it mean anyway? So another 10 years goes by. And all this time, I'm going to conferences. I'm, I'm watching seminars. I am learning. I'm going to my, these things. And it, it starts to dawn on me. I'm this good Catholic girl. I was taught from a very early age that only saints go to heaven. The rest of us go to purgatory first, where we can get our sins burned off. And then when we're pure, we can go before God. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I know God is all loving, all forgiving, and all merciful. I know that for a fact, and so do all my thousands of friends here. He, God, would never condemn anybody. God would never send anybody to hell. How did I get there? How did those other people get there? We believed in it. We manifested it. I believed my whole life that I was going to hell, and I wasn't disappointed. So... The message is you do not have to go to hell unless you choose to, unless you believe that information, I'll clean it up, that you have heard from your culture, your religion, your family, your whole life. We need, I needed to put on my adult eyes and use my adult mind to really look at what I had been taught and to pick through that and find the things that were truth to me. And a God who is vengeful and angry and can get upset about anything and punish me doesn't exist. That was all in my mind. And so I choose to believe because I know that I, I will not go to hell because we make our own. There, I will, I will wobble a little bit on uh, free will. God gave everybody free will. So there are people, spirits that choose to not be with God. They do not want to be there. So they choose to make their own place. I don't know where it is or how it's furnished. I don't want to. I mean, I, uh, that's where, up to them. It's where you were at. That's where I was they only are. at. That was mine. That was mine. It's, I'm not saying everybody's is going to look like that, but I'm, I am here to tell people you don't need to go to hell. Yeah. It, it seems like you were in the astral realm. Do you know where the astral realm is? Oh, I, I know all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you've been there. This. So yeah, right, that's, right. that's it, what it, it just, sounds like. But it, it's interesting it, you know, it, what you saw. You know, I'd like to ask you some questions about some of the sure. things you saw and what you think it was. But and what's the was it a connection to you? Did you discover, for everything example, that was, yeah, everything that I, I experienced was something terrible that happened in my life, but bigger. Oh, so the up. HIV. I drug all my hellish experiences with me and made my own hell, but made them worse. So because I had been raped, I had lost a child. I had um, a lot of this stuff happen. So there was plenty of fodder to fuel that fire. What about New York City being destroyed? Where does that come from? I was in the earthquake in Santa Cruz. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the town, the houses were on fire, buildings fell down, all these people were killed. I was right downtown when that happened. I, I ducked under my desk. My big, huge file cabinets were dancing across the floor. The uh, I walked out and there's chaos and screaming. I could barely get home. The, 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 the highway I had to go over, 
part of the bridge had slipped and we had to drive over the bridge and our car would go like this. Yeah, I had lots of stuff that I could use as filler. <laughs> what about the HIV men? I was, was the connection raped. there? I was raped by a guy who was bisexual right when the AIDS thing started to come out and they knew that homosexuals were carrying it. I had two little kids. I was single. I was terrified. I, there was no testing. And for years, I, I lived with the, the fear that I might have AIDS. Wow. Yeah. So here we are. And uh, for your listeners, I hope that their weirdest experience <laughs> is going to be dying and booming right into heaven and seeing God and all your relatives. And that would be great instead of having the experience of hell be their weirdest experience. So, you know, think about it. Think what's going on with your religion and what you believe. Uh, most of us, I would say all of us that come back are, are considered spiritual. We believe in spirituality. Religion is really, for me and a lot of us, too exclusive there's too many rules, too many people are left out, uh, and God doesn't leave anybody out. Yeah, it sounds like your hell that you went through was like just one bad dream, nightmare after another. Except that I never forgot it. How many nightmares do you have, and two days later you can't remember it? This is just, see, because this sort of thing happens to your soul. It's not in your brain. Yeah. And, and your, your soul doesn't forget. We've got these little tiny human brains that only can absorb a, a, a pittance of what is really out there. You know, you talk about astral planes and the other universes, and there's just so much we don't know. And when we think we do, we think we know a lot, but it's laughable. Mm -hmm. And uh, the people that get to stay in heaven for longer periods of time for one of another, another term, but wow, they go into the Akashic records. They get to see everything that's happened. That's going to happen. They travel through the universes. Um, they have a ball. They have so much fun. And so coming back is almost, well, the other thing I learned is so important is that we all start off in heaven. We're all, God is just one big everything. And we're little pieces of God. We're happy in heaven, but we want to come down to earth or some other place because we want to learn lessons. And you can't learn anything in heaven because it's perfect. So if you become a human, you can come down and you can experience love and hate and, and joy and uh, learn empathy or bravery or, or something. It's, it's like, it's just fun. But it's hard school is what it is. Not all your lessons are fun lessons, just like in real school. And you pick your, your you've got a big group of soulmates and you all get together and, and you put this plan together. And, and this soulmate, I'll, I'll meet you like you and I have just met just now. That, that was planned. You know, we said, okay, you know, this time we go down, you and I will meet, you know, on this date and this time. And so we did. And that goes on with your, your, your family, your boss, your whoever you run into. It's all been planned. And, and it's got to all be okayed by the guides and the committee up there before we come down. Um, so I learned from that that I am not a victim. A lot of times I would shake my fist at God and say, God, why did you do that to me? Why did you take my baby? Why did you cause that person to attack me? But it wasn't God. It was me. So now that just is so freeing to know that just God is loving and loving me and giving me free will to do whatever I want. And then I learn things and I learn very important things. After the death of my baby, I, I got so tired of people saying, oh, you know, you'll have another baby. Um, I know just how you feel. You'll be okay. You know, it's like, Ah, it didn't ring true. But when I had another friend, I had two more friends that lost babies in the next two years. And one of them, when I called and I just listened to her cry and she says, you know, 
I, I know you know how I feel. And that makes all the difference. Yeah, I see that you survived. And that makes the difference. So when things like that happen to us, it's really good to sit and say, okay, what's the lesson? And then know that that's going to be valuable to someone else in the future. It's, it's just, uh, and the thing about punishment, okay, people always come up, well, if there, you know, there's got to be a hell, God's going to send somebody to hell. What about Hitler? All right, well, there's this, I'm told, there's this life review. And it's done with a couple of guides and a couple of angels. And it's not meant to make you feel bad. It's not, make, it's not a punishment. You just get feedback on how your life went and how you, you planned all this stuff. Let's see how you did, you know? And so they roll this whole thing out. Somebody said it was like an IMAX with all these different pictures going on. And every second of your life goes by and you get to see how your life looked, you know, in retrospect, it's like a little bio for you. And then they flip it around and then you get to experience how it felt to be with you, to meet you to be your friend, to be your enemy, to be your ex, to be, you know, everything that happened in your life, you get to feel and experience what those people felt because of you being on the planet. Well, that's good. You know, sometimes you're going to go, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, you know, yeah, or, or that was great. But then you take somebody like Hitler, and I'm going to always use this, this example. When he had his life review and they flipped that thing around, and that soul got to experience the fear, the pain, the terror of each of those millions of people that he killed and their families and what's resulted from that. He's probably still in his life review. I mean, and that's not a punishment. He just gets to understand what his actions did. So it, when you break it down, it's really pretty simple. And I was told later, I kept bugging God about, uh, you know, give me some other stuff to do to, I mean, don't just say, don't think about it. I mean, what can I do? And he's all right. This is over a series of months. It was loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, encouraging, grateful, non-judgmental, and useful. Do those things every day. I start my, my, my prayer every morning is that. And then it keeps me kind of aware of it. And that's the positive thing that we can be doing. But that's the same message that Jesus taught, that all the, the great people that came down, Gandhi, everybody, be loving and kind. Love God above all things, your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you do unto you. It's just so simple that we kind of forget about. We, that's when when you get in religion you, you you've got to not only do that but you got to you know church and then you got to do this you got to say a rosary you got to you know, all these things that really aren't important what's important is to be loving and kind now other thing i want to add about that life reviews um you know your spirit guides are supposed to be beings that have experience on earth otherwise they can't guide you and then your angels, you know, a lot of them never been embodied. I don't know if they have or not. I still have a question mark about that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we like to be very precise, don't we? <laughs> right. But, you know, that review is not only for you, it's for them because ah. they're learning through your physical experience on the planet. You, you're right. Chose you're right. To come to learn, yeah. to experience, and all that information is valuable. All that experience is valuable. So your guides learn from it, your angels take it in, and it gets uploaded to source. You're right. That's, that's, I've never heard it put that simply, and I love it. That's very understandable. It's very reasonable. Yeah. I like it. Well, um, I'm, I'm a person that, that I communicate with my guides and angels a lot, and <sighs> And I advise others on how to do it too. And uh -huh. I, and I always say if something's uncomfortable for you, or you need to take a break, or, you know, you need to tell them, you know, mm -hmm. tell them like a lot of, of us get ringing in the ears yes. and, and some, I've been getting that since I was a child. Ooh. 
I would, your angel getting in touch, huh? I would sit in my room and I would look around the room and hear this ringing. And then I would, sometimes people were in the room with me, like my sister or, you know, my parents. I said, do you hear that sound? And none of them heard it. And so I just stopped asking about it and accepted it. But I know some people that sound really bothers them. Like it's really loud. And I said, Mm -hmm. tell your angels and guides to tone it down, that it's uncomfortable and it's coming in too loud. Wow. Yeah. This is a two-way street, not a one-way street. Yeah. 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 My ex-husband had tinnitus. I'll have to let him know. <laughs> it's worth trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's a really good friend. He's the one that saved my life, you know, and I saved his. He uh, did not want to go and get a, a what's that called? Prostate uh, test mm-hmm. because his numbers were up and, um, he said he heard it was painful. And I says, I don't care. You're going anyway. And we fought about it. And he finally went and out of the 10 tests, seven of it had, had uh, an aggressive cancer. And this was mm, 15 years ago. And the doctor said, if he hadn't come in, he would have been dead in two years. So we saved each other's lives. See, that's another thing where we plan to come down and help each other. And, and so I got divorced three times, but that didn't mean I didn't plan it. And I learned things and they learned things. Yeah. I think you plan it, but I think there's a lot of leeway too. like, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of options. Um, We will. Sure. Right. There's options. Mm -hmm. And then, Mm -hmm. but there's some things that we flag as important. And Mm -hmm. if we don't meet that person or experience that will, the Mm -hmm. universe will kind of guide us toward those people or those experiences. Like you'll, You'll try to get off track and then it's like, nope, get back this way. So that's why it's good <laughs> to pay attention to the signs yeah. and and be in that yeah. constant yeah. two-way. It's a two-way communication. It's back and forth. Yeah, yeah. The voice is there too. Do you hear the voice? It's, it's, it, sounds, it's, it sounds like your conscience or whatever. My whole life, I thought it was my guardian angel. But once you go over and come back, it gets really loud. And so I did not want to go to the IONS meetings, but I could hear this, get in the car, get your keys. And I'm saying, no, 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 as I'm driving to Seattle, (laughs) I sit down and look around. I'm not going, I'm in the meeting. Oh my gosh, how did I get here? So yeah, I I totally believe in that. Yeah, no, I- We are not alone. We are not alone. (laughs) I'll tell you. We're never alone. I got a crowd around me. I got a yeah, crowd there. I, I call it my, my, my gang, you know? Right. I call yeah. it the spirit team and yeah, you know, team. you got them, they're hanging out here in your crown, your angels, and guys, <laughs> but they're part of your energy field. They're not separate that part of you. Uh-huh. And then there's uh-huh. the other spirits that uh-huh. see your light and they're curious and they're like, Oh, <laughs> she can see and hear me, you know, let's play some games. And then you're like, no, we're not doing that now. <laughs> um, so uh, you're no is then life more fun life is more fun and light when you understand that and believe it oh my gosh and then your ancestors are so invested oh, yeah. in you and are helping you too and yep. then don't forget the future right well my ancestors helped me write the book I mean I sat down and they just started downloading their stories in so I start with my dad being shot down on the beach in the war um, in the Philippines and then go through my grandparents on both sides and, and great grandparents because they kept telling me the stories. This is important. This is all a chain. We don't just come into this world by ourselves. There's there's things that we're all, all kind of tied to here. It, it's, it's interesting. It, yeah, it's interesting and it's fascinating because even if you do just family tree research, you mm-hmm. realize how, for example, my grandmother died at 19. Uh, my great grandmother died at 19, giving birth. 10 days oh. later, she passed away. She had to do that for me to be here. You know? Yeah. 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 Have that baby. Right. Yeah. And it, right. it cost her her life. Yeah. Wow. Right. So the, you, you become more grateful to your answers mm-hmm. for ancestors for what they went through for surviving you know yes. for yeah. having children 
because those were your ancestors, you know, so you can see the connection. Right. Yeah. And life's so short. I mean, we think it's long, but you get an eternity and this is a blink of the eye. It really is. So a lot of people who have NDEs, they become more sensitive and psychic. You said you can hear that voice now loud and clear. Were there any other changes that you experienced? Most of us have problem with electricity. Um, when I first got back, I would be driving around my car at night. And every time I came to a stop light, the overhead light would go out in the street lamp. Mm -hmm. And that just went on for years. Um, I'd be in the car with somebody. We'd, I'd be driving home and say, every time we come to a stoplight, <laughs> the overhead light goes out. What's going on? I said, oh, that's one of those things. And when I do podcasts now, oh, I think one in five, the power goes out or the microphones go dead or, <laughs> or something happens. And if, if they're experiencers too, they just say, oh, well, you know, that's the way it goes. I got a backup here. You know, you just, and at the conferences, oh my God, the energy at the conferences, hundreds and hundreds of people, the microphones never work. Uh, the, you know, it's, it's just, everybody goes, oh, well, and they go talking to each other, waiting for everything to be reconnected. That's a big one. And then let's see, um, I have this ability um, to draw people to myself that need to hear my message. And this happens a lot, especially on airplanes. Um, I travel to see my mom now that COVID's over. Uh, again, I used to go every month and to see my parents. And uh, I'd be on the airplane and at least 50% of the time, somebody would sit next to me and I'd get my Kindle, you know, and they'd say, hi, and I'd say, hi, and they'd say, mm -hmm. oh, blah, 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 I just came from my mom's funeral, or my, my, you know, this or that, and, and then I, my antenna would go up, and so I'd listen to their story, and they'd cry, and they'd tell me the whole thing, and then I'd tell them about my near-death experience, and how wonderful heaven is, and, and how this all has a purpose and meaning, and they would get so excited, and it was just to hear somebody say, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't run into you today. I was at my wits end. I was, mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was ready to go down the drain. And I had even two different ladies on different occasions that made me go down to baggage claim with them so that I could be introduced to their husband. They said, <laughs> oh, this wonderful woman just happened to be sitting next to me on the plane. And she has, oh, wait till I tell you on the way home. And so it's that sort of thing. When I hear that echo, you've got too much left to do. At first, I thought, what do I got to be, Jonah Ark to get all this stuff done or what? And, it, and you know, it's just one at a time. And it's, that's why I had to live so long is because it's just, and when I go on a podcast, man, I had one in the Bible Belt. You should have seen the replies on that one. Uh, you know, <laughs> you should have called on Jesus, Ephesians 9, chapter 4. You must be in bed with Satan. I mean, all this, a ah, hundred of these things. And I had like six that said, I loved your message, Kathy, or I'm going to buy your book. And I thought, okay, I just got to push that hundred, hundred aside and be happy with a six. I'm happy with a one, you know, well, everything you, because, you know, you know what you did when you started singing, that was a prayer. Of course. And when and I, I was inspired, I was inspired, right, you were inspired by that. and you were inspiring the beings around you. Right. And so that's why you got taken out of there. Right. Yeah. But I didn't do it on myself. You know, God is God. I'm just a human being. And uh, that was a, an experience I chose. Uh, I, I wonder what I was thinking when I, I, <laughs> when I did that. But um, I had to be there and I had to have the experience. If God had saved me right off the bat, I'd have had to do something else. But now I've got this story to tell. Yeah. You know, yeah. and this this thing to, to tell people they don't have to go to hell, that's that's huge. I wish somebody had told me that, you know, 50 years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, and next time, if you see like I have some funky dreams. You know, I feel like the dream state is the astral realm. And you uh -huh. know, we go to sleep. Our soul doesn't need to sleep. Mm. We're working and doing things and helping and everything. And I had this one very short dream of facing the grim reaper and uh -huh. i remember looking up at him thinking is he standing on the table because he was so tall <laughs> <laughs> and he looked like the typical cloak could I look? he was looking down at me and i was looking at him i couldn't see his face he had his sickle in his hand 
And I just, I was just like, what are we doing here? So I told him, go away. And he just disintegrated in front of me. That's a great story. So in your dream state, if you see something and things are, you know, sometimes it's hard to stop it, you know, because sometimes you're an observer, sometimes you're in it in dreams. But if you see something uncomfortable, command it to be gone. Hmm? Command it away or call in some help. I've done that too. Mm-hmm. in a dream state so, in a dream wake yourself right. up that's what i yeah yeah i like the visitations have you had any uh deceased relatives or whatever come in dreams they're so real oh and yeah i get that heaven feeling when i'm waking up that that just joy and bliss oh it's i had a friend who had passed away and i hadn't seen him in five years and uh, I dreamt that he was showing me a garden and he'd always, the last time I saw him, he was going to turn this empty lot into this big garden. Yeah. And so there he was in this garden. And when I started to wake up, oh my gosh, I didn't want it to end because that heaven bliss feeling was there. Yeah. And then my friend called me, one of the ones I saw in hell. And um, a couple of days later and said, our, our friend died two days ago. And I thought you, you, you know, I didn't think you could you would know. And I said, no, he came to see me <laughs> actually. So that I love those. And my friend, Pat, that, that I saw in heaven, he, he comes every now and then. And no, my whole so life nice. I've had those dreams and it's a sign that you're a medium because uh, they spirit can contact you. You'll remember it. You have the ability to communicate back and forth. So yeah, if someone dies, I'm the one who dreams about them. If a dog, cat, pat, it doesn't matter. It was always me. So, and if I don't dream about them and they pass, I go, really? (laughs) Yeah. Not one (laughs) visit you're going to give me? I guess you're good. (laughs) <laughs> you found somebody else <laughs> you were busy maybe your your line was busy yeah well you can kind of check on their energy see if they're okay if they've transitioned they get stuck mm-hmm. in that elster realm where you were Ooh. at that's not yeah. good no um, that's not good yeah but i've seen them glowing oh you know and it's just so kind of cool to see yeah. like either it's them but they're glowing and yeah yeah it's a blessing. Well, I wanted to thank you, Kathy, so much for being oh, on the show. Yeah. Oh, it's and, been fun. Yeah, I, really I could it. tell that, you know, this is your experience. It was, is your reality. And even though where I'm not uploading the video, I could see at some point of the story, you got really emotional and teary eyed even now talking about it, you know, because, you know. That was yeah, an intense, still there. intense experience. Yeah, yeah, it was. 20 years ago, almost 21, 22. But it's still, it's still there. That's why I'm still on these podcasts. Thank you for having me. Maybe I get to cross off a couple of people. Yeah. And um, tell our audience where they can find your book if they would like to read it. Oh, probably the best place would be Amazon. And I've got a website that is uh, the same as the title of the book with a www in front of it, Misfit in Hell to heavenexpat.com. But uh, Amazon's probably the best place to go. And then now I've got, I've got it in Kindle and the audio is coming shortly. Okay. Well, it was such a pleasure to talk to you, Kathy. Thank you, you too, for being Tina. on. Okay. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you have a weird experience to share, please email me at contactstargazingangel at gmail.com. Check out our website on tinakinneyclark.com. Also, we're on Facebook and like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes with your friends and family. I look forward to hearing about your weirdest experience.